And uh, I was thinking about our topic today, and I remembered an event that happened to me after I graduated from high school. <clears throat> I mean, like almost within weeks after I graduated, my parents decided to move. My dad's job had finished, and my dad worked construction, so we moved from northwest Colorado down to southeast Texas to Victoria. And I got there, and uh, I mean, new town means no friends, and no friends means no social life. And I remember I just spent months and months alone. And we would go to church on Sundays, and I met a few uh, students there my age. There was a junior college there. It's kind of like Frank Phillips. It's called Victoria College. And I was going there, and so there was a college group in the, in the, in the church. But we were only there Sunday morning, so it's really hard for me to kind of meet folks, that kind of thing. Well, there was a, a young woman in there in, the college, in that college group who was having a birthday party with a bunch of her friends, and I got invited and I was like, whoa, I'm not a leper. You know, this is awesome. So I'm going to go. And man, I was so excited because I hadn't been invited to anything in so long. And it was going to be on a Saturday afternoon at her house. And so uh, my mom, Saturday afternoon, my mom said, I'm 19 years old, right? My mom says, hey, here's a list of chores I want you to do, you know, to prove your worth and your value to this family, basically. And I just want to say, I have, I have tremendous parents and I love my mom dearly. We always got along very, very well. Well, my dad asked me to help him clean out the garage. So I spent all morning cleaning out the garage with my dad. And it got, look, it got looking good. Well, then I didn't have time to do the chores my mom had given me before I went off to this party. And so I go back, man, I, 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 I showered and got myself smelling as good as I possibly could. So I hadn't done anything socially in so long. And uh, I go and I get ready to leave. My mom, she's like five foot four. She meets me in the hallway. Where do you think you're going? And I said, Mom, I'm going to the birthday party. No, you did not finish your chores. I was like, Mom, you've got to be kidding. I've been helping Dad all morning. I've worked like a Trojan around here. I've got to go to this birthday party. My mom's like, you're not leaving. You're not leaving until you finish your chores. I said, Mom, I'm leaving. No, you're not. Yes, I am. My mom and I had the biggest fight we ever had before, ever, or since. It was awful. Why was it? Because I wanted, to, I had gotten invited. I wasn't going to let this opportunity pass, all right? And so we kind of yelled and screamed at each other for a few minutes, and I just kind of said, Mom, I'm leaving, and I just walked around her, and I left. And, you know, I, I felt kind of bad about it, but I hadn't invited anything in so long. Well, I get to the house where this birthday party's going on, and I've hung out about 15 minutes, and the phone rings, and the girl whose house it is, she says, listen to this, Les, it's your mom. <laughs> now, I know this is hard for some people to understand. This is before cell phones, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, okay? You know, we did not have cell phones. My mom couldn't call me on her cell, or on my cell. So this phone comes over, and it's got the cord too, by the way. Still, we had corded phones back in those days. Got this long cord. Now, I don't know if you've ever been 18 years old, 19 years old, and had your mom call you at a party. All right. <laughs> it's a stone cold killer. I mean, I didn't know what to do. I really didn't. And everyone's looking at me. At least it felt that way, right? And I went to the phone, and the room got real quiet. You could hear a pin drop. Like, why is his mom calling him at the birthday party? And my mom's on the other end, and she's crying. And she's like, Les, I'm, I'm so sorry for the way that I acted. And I said, oh, I said, I said, my mom, no worries. It's all good. It's all good. And she's explaining, but I'm not hearing because I'm on the phone. I'm looking around the room at everybody else looking at me. <laughs> and then she drops the Moab, the mother of all bombs. Les, I love you. 
Mom, I love you too. Bye. <laughs> I mean, what, I, mean, what you, I mean, you can't just say, Mom, I love you right there in front of, you know, 17 or 18 other people like that. And I want you to think about that with me for a moment. You know, why was I so adamant to go? Because I wanted, I had been invited. I had been included. And I, they just did so much for me. But one of our greatest fears is that we might not be as important to other people as we hope we are. And this is why few things in life are as difficult or as painful as being excluded, not being invited. And social media has just kind of poured rocket fuel on our insecurities, hasn't it? This idea of not being invited. We see groups of people doing things that we didn't get invited to, and it awakens all sorts of painful emotions. What if I'm disliked? What if I'm forgotten? What if I'm overlooked? What does that mean about me? And if we're being honest, the whole idea of being invited... The sense of being included is just critical to our lives. So that's our title today, Invited. We're going to be in Romans chapter 1, verse 1 through 7. The opening lines of Paul's letter to the Romans. You know, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. And Paul is trying to make a really good first impression. And so the first few lines of this letter are just so rich and so inspiring because there's such great imagery. And so Romans chapter 1, verse 1 through 7, I want you to read, read this with me. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 1. How Paul identifies himself. First of all, he says, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. Servant's really not a strong enough word there. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. And it just leaps off the page. And we talked about this last week when he said, I am a slave to Christ. But I want just today to focus on that second identification for a moment. That word called. All right. And this, I want you to see this too. That he calls, he, he mentions himself as a called person. All right. And there are four different calls in this passage. Look at verse 1. A servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle. We receive grace in verse 5 to call people from the Gentiles. Verse 6, you are called to belong to Jesus Christ. In verse 7, you are loved by God and called to be saints. In fact, I don't know if you know this. This word is used, this word called is used in some form 150 times in your New Testament. This is a massive concept. And you can see up on the screen, this word means something like you've been, you've been summoned, you've been welcomed, or I like the word invited. You have been invited. And this is not a term that Paul began using on his own. Jesus used this same word many times in his preaching and teaching. Example, Matthew twenty-two fourteen. Many are called, many are invited, but few are chosen. Or put it another way, many, some scholars say all, all are invited through the preaching of the gospel. 
But very few ever accept the invitation. And the chosen, who are they? Those who accept the invitation that God has given. Everyone's invited, but you must accept the invite. What's, what's, what's the acceptance? Putting your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. In Romans, the call refers to those people who have accepted the salvation invitation. That's what it means to be a called person. And so Paul is saying in verse 1, I have been invited to be an apostle. Verse 6, those who have accepted the invitation to belong to Christ Jesus. And verse 7, you've been invited to be a saint. And every one of us can tell the story. If you know Christ as your Savior, how God's invitation was heard, but then it was just felt. I remember like it was yesterday. I was only 14 years old. I felt summoned to God. I felt drawn. I felt pulled. I felt tugged. And I sensed the pulling of God's Spirit in my heart. And He was inviting me into His presence, into His kingdom, into His glory. Me, of all people, who am I? that I would have deserved such a thing. I was a sinner. You know, I was so far gone. I was so lost, so alone. But I was invited in. I was invited in. And this is true of every Christian. And it is so humbling. It truly is to think about it. If you know Christ, it reveals a remarkable thing that God went first. He sought you. He invited you. The King of glory wanted to include you in everything that he has planned and purposed for his glorious future. Paul said this in Ephesians 1.13, You were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. This is the good news, the gospel. In fact, this is number one I want you to see is that when you see Paul begin to write here, you are invited into the glory of dominion. That's the first thing you've been invited into. Look at verse one. He says, I've been called or invited to be an apostle. He said, I'm set apart for the gospel. The idea behind being an apostle is that you're a, you're a messenger or you're a herald for the emperor of Rome. And the emperor's apostles, his messengers, his ambassadors went across the world declaring the news that the emperor was giving, which in that day and time, because they were so oppressed, it was always good news, okay? It was always good. Their good news was this, the emperor is Lord. The emperor is Lord. That was the message that they proclaimed. What is the message that we proclaim? Think about this. There's a tragic truth, and we can all can feel it in our bones. There is something wrong with everything. You know, in this week, you know, we've seen the floods in Pakistan, the floods in California, so much political unrest everywhere, even in our own country. And it just it becomes more and more apparent that humanity is a wrecked race. And there's no fix for us. We can't fix it on our own. And there needs to be something that happens that is beyond our grasp, something supernatural, an an act of the Almighty God, which is exactly what has happened. Look at verse 2 and 3. This is the gospel He promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding His Son, who as to His earthly life, was a descendant of David. You know, when you read the Old Testament, you're kind of you're gripped with the feeling that someone is coming. The prophets predict him. 
The sacrifices point to him. The Psalms sing of him. And they're all consistent. Someone will come who has the DNA of David and he'll be a man like no other man who has ever been born. And all the longing, all the yearning, hoping for someone who will solve the problems of mankind. Someone who will establish a kingdom, you might say a government, like nothing the world even knew was possible. And so Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says something like this, For to us a child will be born, to us a son will be given, and the rule of the nations will be on his shoulders. It's so appropriate that we talk about this right on the heels of Christmas. Because you know when you close the Old Testament, a lot of you are aware of this, there were 400 years of silence. No prophet spoke. No word from God. But suddenly... Out of nowhere, angels begin to appear. First to families, then to individuals, then to groups like shepherds. And in different ways, they're all saying the same thing. He's here. He's arrived. The man you've been waiting for. Luke chapter 2, there were shepherds in the fields. An angel of the Lord appeared, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem. The promise, the prediction, the prophecy, the, perf- the person, he is now a reality. You know, in the days of Rome... The emperors claimed to be sons of God. The emperor, if you were in Rome, part of your worldview was that your emperor was worthy of worship. He was more than a mere man. He was more than the rest of us. And the good news, the great news, the fact, is that a man has been born who is like no other man who has ever been existed, who has ever existed. And, and that is what Paul is trying to lay out here. In his earthly life, he was like one of us. He did have the genetic material of this uh, former king, King David. But in the other dimension of his incredible life, he was so much more than any other man had ever been. Look at verse 4. Through the spirit of holiness, he was declared with power to be the Son of God. By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, if you would, had been a Roman citizen when Paul wrote this and you read that sentence, your blood would have run cold. Why? When this was written, the standard title for a Roman emperor was Son of God. They believed that when the emperor died, that his spirit or his soul, so to speak, would rise and he would join the pantheon of all the gods that they worshipped, like Zeus and Athena, etc., etc. Paul is drawing a line in the sand and he challenges the entire Roman worldview here. And he says it's false. All right? And language like this was punishable. Imagine living in a place like North Korea or China and saying, you know, our ruler is a fraud. That's kind of what he's doing here. And our good news is that Jesus of Nazareth, a contractor who lived in a tiny little country, who was crucified as a criminal, he is the true son of God. He had no palace. 
He had no army. He had no servants. He had no weapons. He had no exotic wardrobe. He was buried in a a borrowed grave. And yet, because of the spirit of holiness, he was declared to be the son of God with enormous power. He was raised from the dead. This is clearly something no Roman emperor had ever done or could do or even claimed he could do. Yet Jesus of Nazareth, that contractor from that small country, he said many times, I will be crucified, I will be buried, and I will rise from the dead. In fact, even his enemies were aware that he taught this and said this. Look at this on the screen, Acts 27, 62. The chief priests and the Pharisees, they gathered before Pilate, the Roman governor. After the crucifixion, they said, Sir, we remember that while this deceiver was still alive, he said, After three days, I will rise again. And that is why there were guards and a Roman seal on Jesus' tomb, because he had said it, and they had heard it, and so they didn't want anything to happen. They knew it. They knew he had made that claim. Now, the world at that time would shudder at the thought of the glory of Rome. So much power with their army, their navy, so much wealth. And there had never been anything on this planet even approaching the power of Rome until that contractor from Nazareth, Jesus Christ. Now certainly the miracles that Jesus performed were an incredible display of enormous power. I don't know, I think about that with me. I mean, which of those miracles would you have most liked to have seen? You know, I was watching an episode of The Chosen the other night, and they did a great job depicting this man being healed of leprosy right before their very eyes. And what would that have been like, you know? Or, or the man who couldn't walk, his legs were withered, and saying, you know, son, your sins are forgiven. Rise and walk. Take up your mat and go home. Wow. I always think about the man with the withered hand, you know, watching that, you know, like some like, you know, special effects, like watching the skin kind of bubble and his hand come back to life, you know? Incredible to see. What about, you know, calming the storm, feeding the 5,000? I mean, yes, incredible power was on display. But then stop and consider the power of the resurrection. In one act, somehow, with a tremendous, incalculable eruption of power, Jesus stormed the fortress of death, breached the walls, defeated sin, death, and the grave. And ladies and gentlemen, this earth and these heavens around us have been changed forever. Everyone and everything, even the cosmos around us, has been changed by the power that was put on display at the resurrection. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 8. He said, The whole creation cannot as yet see reality, not because it chooses to be blind, but because in God's purpose it has been so limited, yet it has been given hope. And the hope is that in the end, the whole of created life will be rescued from the tyranny of change and decay. How? By the power of of Jesus' resurrection, his resurrected life. And so look at four, verse 4. And Paul says, Now he is Jesus Christ, our Lord. To be a Roman citizen and say, My Lord is Jesus Christ. Wow. Very inflammatory language. That word Lord is only reserved for the Roman emperor. 
but you were saying, the emperor is not my Lord as a Christian. Jesus is my Lord. And for those who have accepted God's invitation, Jesus is our Lord. In his resurrected state, he has a new body. He has a new position at the right hand of the throne of God. He has a new glory and he has a new dominion. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will have enough light to see the hope of God's what? Call. His invitation. His invitation. And think about what you and I have been invited into as believers in Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you've ever accepted that invitation. Maybe you're here this morning. You're like, I, you know, I've never done that. I've, I've never asked Jesus to be my Lord. I've never confessed him as my Lord. But this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to walk in the light of his truth and to have that fellowship and that fellowship with Jesus. Because what happens? Is the overwhelming greatness of God's power that is working among us believers. And this power is conferred by the energy of God's powerful strength. And God's power was at work in Christ when he raised him from the dead, sat him at God's right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler, authority, and power. You know, I know there are times in your life when you feel powerless. I might have mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but I got a text from somebody in my family that I, I love so much. And she was just lamenting. She just said, her life feels out of control. She said, I feel so powerless. I feel so powerless. And I, I wrote back immediately. I said, you are not. You are not powerless. You might feel defeated and you might feel confused. But the last thing you are is powerless. You've been invited into the dominion of the power of the resurrection. And you have resurrection power. Great power is at work among us whom God has called to himself. And we need to believe this. We need to act on this. We need to live as this is true because you and I have been invited into the glorious dominion of Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful thing to know and to believe. But secondly, you've been invited into the, the blessing, the blessing of belonging. Look at verse 6 and 7. Or verse 6, you are among those who are called to what? Belong to Jesus Christ. When you accept God's invitation, you're given a place of belonging, a people to belong to. And the Bible clearly tells you and me that when you belong in the people of God, because you've accepted the invitation, you are blessed. And the blessing of God is not a general sense of well-being, like, you know, hey, my life's all good and things are going great. It is a tangible, solid, upcoming reality. The blessing of, the, of belonging is this awesome privilege of what's called your eternal inheritance. And when you have accepted the invitation, you belong, you are blessed with an eternal inheritance. Ephesians 3, 6, this is God's plan. Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children, part of the same body, both enjoy the promise of blessing because they belong to Christ Jesus. You know, the world feels so unstable right now. 
It seems like so many people are so angry and afraid and anxious. And if you fight feelings of anxiety and fear, let the, let the granite beneath your feet be the, the, the reality of belonging. Belonging. Remind yourself, this world is not my home. I belong to another place. This is not where I belong. You know, we all want to find belonging in this time, in this place. But the Bible says we are aliens and strangers here once we've accepted the invitation. And so you want to cling to this truth. I belong to Christ and I am blessed by God. And so I am an heir to the riches of God. Philippians 3, Paul said it this way. We belong to heaven. That is where our citizenship is. We are waiting for a Savior to come from heaven. And He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He will change our body, which was made for this world. And He will make it like His wonderful body, made for that world. And He will make all things obey Him. And then you see it's very telling that Paul goes on to say, You are loved by God. There in verse 6. Why? This is the most transformative belief that you and I could ever embrace. And I kept reading this passage and it kept just kind of gnawing on me. You know, who am I, you know, that I would be pulled into dominion to be given the blessing of belonging? Who am I? Who am I to be loved by God? The most profound truth any of us could ever grasp is the length of God's love for us. You know, I, I don't know, I don't know that anyone here really has begun to understand the depth of the love of God that He has for you sitting there in your seat right now. Whether you've trusted Him as Savior or not, He loves you. God so loved this world that He was willing to give His one and only Son. God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were sinners, rebels, terrorists, Christ died for us. We can't. We can't do it. Paul tells us it requires power from God to even begin to grasp His love. And have you ever prayed this prayer? That Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3. He said, I pray that you and all God's holy people have the power to understand the greatness of Christ's love. And we pray about a lot of things. There's one thing right here in the Bible we are told to pray for. The power to understand the love of God. How much would it change our lives if we had the power to understand the love of God, and the belonging that He's given us. How much would it change our churches, this church, if we had the power to understand the love of God? No matter where we fall on the spectrum of spiritual maturity, we all need frequent reminders of the infinite lengths God goes to to love us. And always remember, I am loved just as I am because of who God just is. It's not on me. I don't have to fix myself, 
repair myself, improve myself to try to somehow earn more of God's love. No, not at all. He loves me just as I am because of who he just is. And lastly is this. You're invited into this journey into holiness. You know, I remember back when I was in high school, uh, standing on the sidelines. I remember one time in particular, one of our biggest games was about to start. And we're warmed up, we're ready, you know, we're kind of bouncing, you know, doing all that stuff. And I remember coach comes up to me and says, Sharp, I want you to go out there today and I want you to be a football player. Yes, sir. I sure will. What does that even mean? <laughs> I was like, man, I'm wearing the uniform. <laughs> okay. My name's in the program. All these people are in the stands. My mom, and, hey, mom, you know, my mom and dad are here to see me. I am a football player, but I knew what he meant. He's like, go out there, be what you are. That's what he meant. Okay. And absolutely, there's a level of performance that you need to go out and put out there. All right. And be who you are. That's what he was saying. Look at verse 7. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. You got to use a football illustration when you talk about the saints, right? <laughs> but that word saints is a cool word, all right? And it means holy ones. It means the people who are set apart to be God's own people. And think about this. He says you are called to be saints, his holy ones. How do you become a saint? All right, you know, like St. Nicholas, St. Patrick, you know, does the church have to confer that on you? No. When God invited you, when God called you to himself, you became a saint. And now it's, it's kind of confusing sometimes, all right? It can be a misleading translation. It really can, because we do think about St. Patrick and St. Nicholas. You know, they, those guys were so amazing. You know, they were, they were so spiritual. Of course they're a saint because of their lifestyle. But you're, you are a saint in your chair there today. If you've asked Christ to be your Savior, accepted the invitation. And it's not because of your holy lifestyle. Because God has invited you to belong to Him. And what does it mean to be holy? It means to be separated. There's some distance between you and the rest of humanity. You are different now. When I had on my football uniform... I was different from the people in the stands. I had, you know, I had a different look about me. I had different training. I had different everything. And I had a different job that I had to go do. So here's what I want you to see today. Holiness is a word that gets thrown around. A lot of times it has some negative connotations. What is it? It is two things at the same time. It is a state of being and it is a way of behaving. It's a position in Christ, and it is a pursuit in the name of Christ. We are holy, but as holy people, we must pursue holiness. And we are on a journey to holiness, that as time passes, our lives become more and more distinct, more separate from the world around us. We are holy and we are told to become holy. That means there should be a genuineness about our lives that reflects our holiness. And ladies and gentlemen, I got to tell you today that we are in a crisis in the church in America today. Why? Because we justify sinful lifestyles. We pacify sinful people. And then we vilify anyone who dares to hold someone to a standard. This ought not be 
among the people of God. We're doing this in our churches. I expect Hollywood to do this, and I expect other groups to do this, academia even, but not in the church. 2 Corinthians 7.1, the Apostle Paul said, Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness. Perfecting holiness. In other words, perfect what you already are. Become more of what you already are. Why? Out of reverence for God. The Lord Jesus comes to you and me, just like my coach did, standing there, clothed in Christ by faith, got the uniform on. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Your name's in the program. Okay? You're a part of the team because you're here in church. All right? No question about it. I'm holy. And Jesus says to you and me, go out there and be holy. All right? In other words, be the genuine article. Live with integrity. Be distinct. Be different. Become in practice what you are in reality. And holiness gets a bad rap. Absolutely. Holiness is saying no to some things. Yes. Half of holiness is saying no to certain appetites, certain urges, certain desires that you know disobey God's word and dishonor the Lord. Like Paul said, they contaminate body and spirit. So yes, half of holiness is saying no to some things, but the other half we don't talk about is holiness is saying yes to so many other things. Saying yes to virtues, character, and honor, and valor, loving fiercely, speaking truthfully, living courageously, living with integrity. Say no to some things, say yes to others, and live in holiness. Be what you are. And so I want you to think about this as we close today. Remember how felt, how good it felt to get invited to something when you're in grade school? Like a camp out or a sleepover. It's the best feeling. You felt included. You felt loved. Think about this. In God's grace, you've been invited into His presence, His kingdom, His glory. And then his very self. He, has, he is the spirit of holiness, Paul says. He is a holy God. And he has given you some of his holiness. And we are to walk in that. There is power. There is belonging. And there is a new state of being living to an entirely new way of life. And that's why the apostle Paul says to them, grace to you and peace. Do you see that in verse 7? Grace to you and peace. My first youth pastor, I don't remember anything he said, but one Wednesday night in a Bible study, he said this. He said, there is no peace where there is no grace. And I remember that so well. I remember like it was yesterday. I know the Lord was hammering that into my heart. The Holy Spirit was hammering that into my heart that night. There is no peace where there is no grace. And I would just say today two things. Number one, do you have grace in your life today? Have you asked Jesus to be your Savior? Have you gone to Him and said, Lord Jesus, I need your grace. I need to be saved. I need to know you. I need my sins forgiven. I need my sins to be washed away. Because you see, unless you have that grace, there will be no peace. And then for those of us who have accepted this gift of grace, you don't have peace in your life right now. 
Ask yourself, do I really understand? Do I comprehend the grace that God has given? This dominion, this belonging, this holiness, this distinctiveness that God has given me. Do I understand? The grace. And you might just go before the Lord this morning and say, Lord, I need more understanding and comprehension of your grace. Love and grace. Ask God to give you the power to understand those two things. Let's bow our heads together this morning. And while we have our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I just want to ask you to consider, have you trusted Jesus to be your Savior so that you can accept this incredible invitation that's been given. If you haven't, you say, Lord Jesus, in your own heart, there in your chair where you are right now, you can say, Lord Jesus, I see now that you have invited me in. And Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, that I need you to be my Savior. I need your forgiveness. I accept your invitation. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. When we admit that we are needful of Him, that we are a sinner in need of forgiveness, that's the acceptance of the invitation. See, I can't do it on my own. I can't do it myself anymore. Then there we go. Then that Holy Spirit comes into your life and there's a holiness that follows. And for the rest of us here today, I know most of us here today have trusted Christ as our Savior. We have responded to the invitation, but to have the peace that says, no matter what's going on in my life, no matter what's happening around me, I can see the incredible glory of the dominion that God has brought me into, the holiness He has called me to, and the belonging and the love that goes with it that He has given me. So let's just be quiet for a moment. I want to ask you just to go before the Lord this morning and just spend a few moments in prayer. We're going to worship together before we leave today, but spend a couple of moments in prayer asking the Lord to give you an understanding of the belonging, the dominion, and the holiness that he offers and invites you into. Mm. Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much that you have done so much. And Lord, who am I? Who am I? Who are any of us that you should call us, invite us into such things. So Lord Jesus, we are just overwhelmed with gratitude and Lord, we, we worship you and we praise you and I just pray, Father, that you would put it in our hearts and minds, Lord, to serve you at all costs the rest of our days. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.